Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How are you doing today? The world's going to hell. Yeah, right? Can you believe it? Oh my God. But you know what? I know. I want to tell you something. I know that you guys out there that listen to the show, you see the bigger picture. We're in this for the long haul and we're survivors. So you guys are going to be good. And I, I, don't, I don't have any doubt on that. I don't have any doubt. Strong will survive. Yeah, so uh, it's getting weird. I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it's nice out. I still feel a little bit locked in with my husband, I have to say. Uh, you know, we go to couples therapy now every week. And I think in a way, this is really... I think it's been good for our relationship. It's definitely brought out a lot of the weaker areas, just like it does for everyone personally. But, but I'm glad to see that we're working on it because, you know, a lot of times, you know, people just bail or they don't want to fucking talk about it. So anyway, uh, that's, that's been my life. But um, I also want to remind you, oh, well, before I remind you, I just want to tell you, I got this amazing guest on today, Howard Hall. Can you believe it? Like, um, he, he's been the editor, the chief art critic for Time Out for 25 fucking years. And July... 2020 is his last month. So let me just remind you about the radio show. I mean, the radio station, for God's sakes, and then I'll bring him on, okay? So anyway, uh, as you know, this is a tough time for all nonprofits. And we, you know, I, I do want you to go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org and donate, but I also want to invite you to engage with our station because we are a really positive, informative, entertaining, full-spectrum experience, okay? You know, and you can even download an app on your iPhone or your Android and have us around all the time. So you can listen to like a whole block of, like this afternoon after after we're done with me there's so much great programming and music and stuff and hang around hang out that's what i'm saying hang out man okay you got it so here we are i'm gonna get right to my guest howard hall and um okay so let's just start with the counter transference okay because we know that um i have authority issues and howard hall of course is a little bit of an authority figure being um the time out editor-in-chief i mean he knows a lot of shit about art and he knows he knows the deal he knows the deal but you know i we did a little pre-interview and i'm actually uh, just so pleasantly surprised how comfortable he is. He's really easy. So let him, you know, let's, I, I think this will be good. But um, just so you know, he, he is, he's a, if you don't know, you fucking idiots. He is the editor in large for Time Out New York, as well as a chief art critic and editor of the art section. He joined uh, Time Out New York on August 1st, 1995. Um, as part of the staff, and he basically created a whole department and a lot of, you, you know, we all, it's a big deal, okay. 
Um, I think he said it was up to like eight pages of the magazine at one point, which is a lot. But um, he also has a background. He in his background, he taught 20th century art history at the Corcoran School of Art. And he was a curator uh, for gallery and performance art at the kitchen for four years before he um, became, came to time out. Some other stuff in there. But anyway, hi, Howard. Hey, Lisa. Thanks I, for having me. I, I kind of barreled through your bio there. How was that? It was okay. <laughs> and uh, so I'm looking at, folks, I'm looking at you. You're in, your, you're in your studio right now. You have a active art practice at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, there were periods where I pursued that, you know, exclusively. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then kind of dipped in and out of different things, like including curating at the kitchen, working at Time Out. Um, so, uh, but there was about a 10 year period where I, you know, really focused on that. And from the early 80s to the early mm -hmm. 90s, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And um, so a couple of years ago, I had a show of all that work I did 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so since then, I've been kind of like trying to, mm -hmm. you know, it's it, my ideas have moved down from where they were, but sure. I'm basically, yeah, giving it a go. So it's always been there. Art practice has oh, always, yeah. always been there. But your job at Time Out uh, must have been, uh, that must have taken up a lot of time. Oh, yeah, completely. Yeah, and also we should know that you, you have, we should all note that you also are a parent. You have yeah. a child who's 24 now? Yes. So that took up, that that takes up a lot of time too, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Totally. <laughs> and a lot of mental space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Still so, does, by the way. Still does? Oh, really? yeah. Totally. They, she, they, I, they, I, yeah. it's a, tell us about that. It's a they, right? Yeah. Uh, Ari identifies as a, um, non-binary trans masculine person and uses the pronoun they uh -huh. and not 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 trans male specifically so um you've, but, you've already gotten over my head i don't even know trans masculine well, I, mean, I mean uh you know there there are women who trans transition to being uh, i'm sorry there are men who transition to being female and women who transition to being male so so they're both that's the basic i mean as far as is I he know. transitioning or they uh, transitioning they, uh, no they well they've been they've been doing the hormone therapy for a while and so they yeah so were they, they female at birth yes. female female oh oh yeah. wow oh yeah. so that's 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 interesting so that that must be okay so that's got to be intense well, it was. It had its. <laughs> That's got to be intense. No, I mean, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, what happened was I realized that you know, no matter what, the you know, the person was the same. Right. Basically, basically right. The same person, and um, the you know, in terms of altering a form, of which there's been some. It mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, so you sort of get used to it, and it wasn't really that extreme. 
I would mm -hmm. say. You know. mm -hmm. um, Did you see any indication of that when they were much, you know, when they were growing up as a child? No, not really. And and but, however, I've been taken to task by my kid for uh, mm -hmm. not spotted oh, them. <laughs> so for was, not like taking them to. Yeah, how how could I not know? And I'm like, because I don't know, because I didn't. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, they the. Uh, once I got to college, you know, I think this, the whole thing kind of came to a head about three years ago, four uh -huh. years ago. So, but, you know, we're all good now. That's Ari, good. That's Ari, good. Ari is happy, and that's really the most important thing. Wow. I, you know, because I came to see that the transitioning was really, really like a fundamental thing about mm -hmm. them. And, that being able to get there, you know, was an important part of their happiness. So, do you think that made you closer going through that? You know, and I, and you're still going through it. Is they were young, okay. but did that yeah. make you closer to them? Well, I think you know, it's we've had a very. I mean, Ari is very much like me, so that's mm -hmm. a double-edged sword. <laughs> uh, and. Um, uh and she's you know i'm day i'm sorry i'm i'm bad on my pronoun thing I oh i know oh no but, no but we're they are, they are very smart and um mm -hmm. uh, and uh i kind of i mean i kind of had expected great things of them and hopefully that will still be the case but i don't think i tried to pressure them in any way but mm -hmm. uh, but anyway um like I said, they're they living in graduated from U Chicago with a degree in uh, molecular biology. That's a big deal. And to trying me. to uh, you know trying to find work and lab yeah. for the time being until they decide to go to graduate. and and you have like the perfect attitude as a parent. You want them to be happy, and they should they they should be glad that they have a parent like that their parents are like that so yeah, well you know i think it's good i think listen if they've got a problem send them to me i'll just fix everything you know how it is it's, it's fine <laughs> so That's anyway cool. um so i personally am i mean just me personally and i i don't think i'm alone in this are sad to see that here that find out that this is your last month at time out and uh um, it's really generous of you to uh, allow us to check in with you on that because this has to be is like it seems like a big deal like how does it feel to you well you know it's it's uh, I, I'm not upset about leaving uh, you know I mean it was mm -hmm. a, I think it was the right decision and you know I sort of think 25 years you know that's a good chunk of time yeah and especially i mean other other critics have had i mean roberta smith has been at the new york times much longer really at time out um uh -huh. I, my, some of my other peers uh -huh. you know were at different publications mm -hmm. uh so and so the whole thing about staying in one place for that particular amount of time i kind of like at a certain point i was like you know what this is fine yeah it worked out you so, the career was i'm saying like from my point of view, and I think other people too, it's more of the end of an era in a certain way because the print magazine, the community and all that, the, just whatever that was about 
that period, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's we're just, all moving on. We're not going to get stuck in the past, none of us. But it yeah. was an era that I'm sad to see over, and you're a big part of that. That's all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not super nostalgic about it. I, I get how technology <laughs> does this to culture, you know. Uh -huh. and, you know, there was, you know, I mean, I know if you look at the history of art, there's Sure, most people don't really think about this, but in a sense, culture is so conditioned on whatever the economic picture is at the time, and that in turn is conditioned on whatever technologies are transforming the economy. So this has happened over and over and over and over again. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, this is not like, um, you know, it's not like right. the first time that, I mean, I, I'm trying to be, um, you know, I'm trying to look at the big picture and understand that. I mean, I don't want to be like, oh my God, I can't believe no. I feel like the rug has been pulled out from under. No, no. I mean, I don't think, I don't think that's it whatsoever. I'm just saying that, um, you know, it's just an, it's interesting. Like, I wonder, um, like, you know, how, when you look, is there any way to look look at the whole thing and see it as like a story of how things happened or it's oh, education? Yeah. yeah, like how do you, how do you see it as a, like a journey that you were on and how it affected you and what it was no, like? It it affected it affected, I mean, not me in particular, but the the period of time covered a very structural, deep structural change in both the art world and the publishing industry simultaneously. Mm -hmm. so that's what I find fascinating is that these two things converged and largely for the same reason, you know, money and, and, uh, and uh, the internet. Those are the two mm -hmm. things that changed both mm -hmm. industries, mm -hmm. both the art world and the publishing industry. So- um, And as far as money goes, what do you mean? Because well, I mean, the concentration of wealth into fewer and fewer hands also mm -hmm. meant that um, oh, it had a huge effect on, on art, mm -hmm. how art is marketed, how art is made, how art is experienced. And by the same token, um, what happened with, it also ended, you know, the, the independence that media companies enjoyed for a period, you know, at their high point, you know, they, mm -hmm. they became, I mean, both art and, uh, you know, media or content became, you know, kind of caught up in an asset class frame of mind, not mm -hmm. so much, you know. Art mm -hmm. became an asset class. Uh, I think media became, a, you know, media became a place that a lot of uh, venture capitalism or uh, capitalism mm -hmm. jumped into, you know. So you after, after they kind of hollowed out blue collar America, they went after white collar America. Mm -hmm. so, that was, so that's what I mean by money. And so, and mm -hmm. meaning, I just want everybody to know that like when you say asset class, you're talking about art that's worth millions of dollars and traded and, you know, yeah. used for money laundering and- I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, art is treated like stock. And it, yeah, exactly. That's and what real, I- And real estate. It's, right, it, that's, it, that, it, so- it, you get that, guys. That's all I wanted you to know. So how, how did that affect? So that's what's going on now. So how did that affect art? Well, I mean, art, when I, 
you know, when I came to the art world, you know, when I kind of entered, there was still this, uh, I mean, people have described it as a kind of a narrative. There was a narrative, you know, coming out of the development of art over the course of, you know, modernism, right? 20th mm -hmm. century. There are all these things that happened, these um, radical changes in style and ideology. And, and that, you know, the, I mean, obviously it was, the big, the most intense period was roughly between the middle of the 19th century and the middle of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So and, and like art, I, art history is like a story sort of. Art, art history, I mean, in other words, art, art was very concerned with the narrative of art history and changing art history. Mm -hmm. And that, that story kind of, you know, went away. I mean, there was no longer, and, and it was, and it was subtle. You didn't really, see it happening you know mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. like in the late 80s there was still like you know in the 80s there was still like trying to name movements like neo geo mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know etc etc they were trying to they were still trying to fit art into the old model of an art mm -hmm. historical narrative and sometime in the mid 1990s that started to go away so, so how do you think art mm -hmm. oh, sorry I was going to ask you how you think art is evaluated now because it's can't, I mean, what you're saying, and it makes sense to me, doesn't seem like it's evaluated in terms of the, the story of art history. It's sort of out of nowhere, or is it the public who, who, how is it evaluated? Well, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I, <laughs> uh, there's a kind of, um, you know, there's a there's a real system now that's not unlike, you know, the academic system that existed before the beginning of modern art. You know, where mm -hmm. you go to the right art school, you meet the right people, you meet the right curators, you you kind of like, then there you're sort of pipeline towards the right collectors, and, um, mm -hmm. and I mean there have been changes, you know, like uh, even within this new kind of asset asset class paradigm. But um, you know, it 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 basically boils down to uh, you know impact is more important. I'd say ah. how how a work how a work impact. And, you know, it's not so much you know for a while, idea was very much you know, the idea, you know, responding to the idea invested in the object was the big deal. Right. Now it's more like the impact of the object in some way, you know. You mean like the Maurizio the, Catalan banana? Yes, that's exactly right. It was that, I mean, in all, in all respects, a meaningless gesture, and he knew it when he made it, but yes. that was part of it. Like everybody knew it was a meaningless gesture, and out of its meaninglessness, it became meaningful for like 15 mm -hmm. seconds. So that's, that's actually a good example of- um, you, you could bring that back to Warhol though, couldn't you? Yes, absolutely. Oh yeah, Warhol. Yeah. Warhol, Warhol but, changed everything really. Yeah, but Warhol, I mean, I've always felt that Warhol, you know, I don't think his, I don't think his, his own, mind deep down inside was quite as superficial as he I himself made claims, you know. I agree. I agree. I agree. He's a very devout Catholic. 
Mm -hmm. If you know that about him, mm -hmm. see that in a weird way, his work mm -hmm. really, really fits into the tradition mm -hmm. of Catholic art, you know? Yeah, I think he's been perverted in a way. Some of his ideas oh, yeah. have been perverted and downgraded by that. I mean, I mean, a lot of a lot of people, you know, it's true that that he 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 wasn't the only one, of course, but yeah. he, you know, and and it was and and it also it was, you know, there was this context of what could. There was still this, there was still this uh, battle between what could and what could not be art. Right, right, right. That was a that was you know kind of a big philosophical arena. To right, right. And and his work was did that you know. So back to you, Howard. Back to you. <laughs> this is about you. Okay. I um want to I want to hear like um what are what are some of the highlights? What are some of the highlights that that stick out in your mind? They don't have to be like major events. Just things that stick out in your in your mind from the last 25 years at Time Out. It could be like people you've hired or small things, big things. What kind of things stick well, out for you? I mean, I mean, look, you know, when you put out a weekly magazine, you know, one week pretty much blends into the next. So, right. but I would say that for me, you know, the most satisfying thing was building this platform for art criticism that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And that I, uh, in my own mind, I was modeling it on, uh, on art, uh, like the idea of an art magazine being published by uh, a newspaper, you know, in other words. And, uh, and so a, gen a general interest publication that had a section devoted to covering mm -hmm. art mm -hmm. with the same kind of focus and mm -hmm. detail as an art magazine. Mm -hmm. What so, kind of things did you feel you wanted people to know about that maybe weren't being covered by art-only publications? Like what was what was in your mind? What were no, you? Well, I think I think what I I mean. I knew that artists paid a lot of attention to the weekly, you know, they're, they're, we weren't the only weekly outlet. We, we yeah. just sort of shouldered our way into a landscape that already had the New York Times and the Village Voice in particular, and to a lesser extent, New York Magazine. But it was, it was a British publication. It was a London publication, yeah. a long time London, that was cool and hip that came yeah. to New York finally. And it, it had, I mean, I remember when it, you know, it was a really interesting, it had a really good vibe to well, you know, starting we, out. We weren't necessarily welcomed with open arms by the media in New York. Maybe uh, not. But, well, that's to be like, expected what too. That, what are you doing here? You know? Yeah, of course. And for me, it was an opportunity to clear a new space mm -hmm. for our coverage. And I took it. Mm -hmm. so, Did you feel like the public wasn't as engaged in art, the general public? Is that what you liked about it? Or what were you... What? I, wanted to, I wanted to see if it was possible to, on the one hand, serve a particular community and their expectations of mm -hmm. dialogue, you know. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, bring people who didn't really know that much about art along. And the reason I thought that was a way to go was because even in the 80s when I came to New York originally there was this whole thing about you know mm -hmm. art moving into the you know the general culture like you know like I remember there was this thing for a while you know when the art market was going crazy in the 80s 
this idea of the you know the you know artists are the new rock stars you know this was a this was a this was a meme it mm -hmm. wasn't called a meme back then but mm -hmm. that's, it was a meme and so you know i can't came out of that and and i thought well you know why couldn't art criticism also or you know um service a broader audience and mm -hmm. make fill that gap between mm -hmm. you know high and low culture and you know mm -hmm. and all of that stuff so um you know that was sort of my and, intent and you my created intent. a department there right I mean, yeah. one of the things that you mentioned you enjoyed is, you know, picking out talent and, you know, you, yeah. you were good at, like, you were good at running a group of people and hiring people. You had something, what, what kinds of things were you looking for in the people that you hired? What, what were you interested in? Well, I wanted to make sure they knew what was going on. <laughs> yeah, right. Were, that would be, like, you know, that was, and, and, uh, you know, it was kind of like I was. I guess I was looking for different sensibilities with respect to how they approached art, and um, so you know, I, I think. Uh, I mean, it was. It was. I really didn't think that hard about it, but you know, mm -hmm. I kind of figured like, well, I think this writer. Um, uh, I think this. I think this. Uh, particular writer might have you know been good because they were more they had more connections to the fashion world and this artist who was more you know not academically inclined but mm -hmm. more still like so you had a um you wanted people to cover you 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 were looking at like the mix a palette of art critics to work yes, with exactly palette yeah, yeah, okay yeah, that's yeah. cool but I and you and mm-hmm you hired Jerry, right? You hired Jerry Saltz. Yes, he was. He was, Jerry was. Uh, and how did my, my crack art, my crack reviewers early on, quite early on. He like, started. Early, did you know him, or how did you come to hire him? What yeah, were you, What I, were you expect? And what were you expecting from him and stuff like that? Well, look, I knew Jerry got around a lot in the art world. He knew a lot mm -hmm. of people. Uh, he had been writing art criticism for Art in America. Um, I liked his take, mm -hmm. and uh, and I knew that uh, it'd be kind of a two-way street. I'd be helping him, but he'd also be helping the Time Out brand because he would be, you know, enthusiastic right. about it as he made his way around, uh, you know, the scene. So, right. So, um, you know, it kind of worked out. He brought a lot of energy to to it. You know, sure, uh, sure, as is his want. Well, and he was. I had known him, but I had known him previously. Um, from making from, art. From the time I first got, from the time I first got to New York, when I was curator at the kitchen, to later when I was focusing on my art practice, to um, you know getting into the publishing. Mm -hmm. You guys were in the same circles, pretty much, yeah. right? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh -huh. the, the art world was a lot smaller back then, and it wasn't really global the way it is now. Right. You know? I mean, a New York art world was still like the New York art world. It wasn't just an adjunct to, you know, Hong Kong or Seoul mm -hmm. or some other, you know, Shanghai or something else, you know, or Paris or London. It, it was, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, it was its own entity with its own sort of um, mm -hmm. uh, 
kind of community values, if you will, or mm -hmm. something, you know, or mindset, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the mindset assuming that we were the center of the universe, but, and we were. <laughs> we were. <laughs> we were at the time, not so much now, so. And that's did you other... have to travel a lot in later years? Like, did you start no. having to travel a lot, or were you always no, mainly no, focused no, I, in I, New York? Always local. Mm -hmm. That was the, the, the time. Oh, because it's time out New York, right. So like Time Out London, you know, I mean, I mean, um, so I never like went and covered the Venice Biennale. Right, 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 right. I mean, I could have gone, but they wouldn't have paid for it. So I, <laughs> all right, you know. Um, and, and. Um, so who do you think, where do you think the New, New York used to be the center? So how has that shifted? Well, the art world is, you know, it's now a global, as I, just said it's mm -hmm. a global entity mm -hmm. and uh art fairs my like art fairs in particular have become you know sort of the major platform for art both in terms of its distribution and marketing and um uh and my experience is that one art fair is pretty much the same as the next and it doesn't matter where you i mean the free yeah right once you set up the freeze tent, it doesn't matter whether it's on Randall's Island or in London or in anywhere else, you know. So. Do you remember your interview? I know I keep interrupting you. I'm like, I am sorry. Uh, you guys think I'm rude. I know we both, we all, everyone listening knows I'm fucking rude. Okay, so let's just get over it. But anyway, uh, do you remember your interview? Your first interview? Like you had a vision. Do you? Robert, you said Robert Longo introduced you to the people at Time Out, right? No, no. Did I get no. that right? Robert Longo, that was, I knew Robert Longo uh, in, a different, in a different capacity. I got that confused. Yeah. How did you get the job at Time Out? I went in there and interviewed. There was an opening. Yes. So I, knew, I knew they were, they basically, the magazine had launched in 1968 in London. Mm -hmm. uh, Tony Elliott started it on his kitchen table, famously, with a loan wow. from his, one of his relatives, they gave him 800 pounds or something. So he, he, you know, expanded to New York in 1995. I had heard they were coming. And I'll, I'll tell you how I found out. I read it in the media news section of the New York Post. Interesting. Yeah, you know, which they were great. I mean, they they really covered the media beat amazingly. You know, they had a guy there, terrific uh, writer, Keith Kelly. Um, but anyway, I read that and I was like, oh, okay. So then I was trying to figure out where the hell they would be and finally figured out there at the address where they, the building they were setting up in and who the, who the editor-in-chief was going to be and... I wrote him a letter saying, look, I've done this, this, and this, and I'm interested in uh, the job. Would you interview me? So, um, so then I walked in and talked to, I talked to Cindy Stivers was the name of the founding mm -hmm. editor. If uh -huh. you will. And, um, she had come from, uh, she had come from premier magazine, which is no longer uh, existing, but it was like a movie magazine. Big, big deal. Yeah. At the yeah time. It, was a, it covered the entertainment industry. So, um, so yeah, I don't know how I got the job, why she picked me exactly, but you know, I you know she did, and I you know. And so right you up, you had your eye on that job when you heard Time Out was coming here, though. 
Well, I, I knew what its potential would be because I yeah. was familiar with the section in London. I had, I had read, I remember there was, a, there was a magazine store, I think, and there was a bookstore in Soho that would have magazines from around the world. And right. they occasionally had time out. I remember flipping through it and seeing the art section going, wow, we don't have anything like this in the United States. So I knew that's what the art, you know, I knew that's, that's what it would bring to the table. They probably, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing they could probably see that you understood their magazine, which probably really, that you had a real interest in their magazine, which I imagine helped. Do you remember what happened? Do you remember getting the job? Do you remember getting the phone call or anything no, like I'll that? But I think, I'll tell you what I think it was. I mean, I, it was, you know, I said something like, because I mean, they were obviously, they were really concerned about, um, you know the you know getting out there in New York and getting a readership because they mm -hmm. were coming in stone cold right mm -hmm. so I remember saying something like well you know the art world is there's not a lot of people but it's 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 a very influential slice of the readership ah. and very and very you know very intense and right. I said like for example any review of any artist who's having a show at a gallery that review will be Xerox and put on the front desk of the. Uh, of the oh. And, yeah, that's what I said, and I said, you know, so, you know, it may not. It, it'll at least it'll at least get the name out there as you know a, a serious, um, you know, in with respect to the art world. So I think. I think, yeah, I think Cindy liked the fact that I was thinking in those terms. So, so you were able to understand the role the magazine and the art, the art column or whatever, the art section would have in the value, the commercial, the business plan of the magazine yeah. for the right. business. Right. But we never got that much advertising, you know, in my section, unlike some of the others. Uh, in theater. Like movies. That have okay, huge budgets. But, but the movie, the movie advertising has disappeared in the last five years, mm -hmm. as did music, which was another, was, music was the biggest section of the magazine. They had 12 editors working on that section. Oh, really? Wow. So over, yeah, because it was like, you know. So, um, yeah, because I think it's, you know, the, the, the ad climate has changed so radically over the years. It's, it's really astounding when you think about it. Um, but uh, but yes, it totally affects it totally affects how um, what a magazine covers and how they cover it to what degree. Uh, and the magazine world, as it had existed at least since the early part of the twentieth century, was still intact in the in the mid nineties. Right. But it would go away with the internet. You know, right. The internet kind of. So, do you remember when you got the job, or how you felt when you got the job? Yeah, I mean, I remember I I uh, I think I got um, a message on my voicemail, and then I we didn't have uh, iPhones back then. I went to a payphone and I called and uh, called yeah. who? I called the editor. So oh, said, <laughs> and I said I said yes. Yeah. So I said you left a message for me, and she goes yes, you have the job if you want it. And I was like yes, I do want the job. So. Yeah, I was very, it was exciting. That must but, have been a big deal. But it was a yeah. lot of hard work at the beginning because um, it was a weekly and it was a, and it was a launch. It, we were oh really, my God, you were there yeah. right in the beginning of the magazine. Yes, in New York, yeah. Wow, uh, so 
What so was that like? Intense. Oh my God, that was super intense. So yep. intense. I mean, uh-huh. I would come in at 10 in the morning and leave at one in the morning. Wow. And I would work seven days a week. I'd have to come in on Sundays, you know. It was just very, it was just a very different process than now. You know, the, right. you know a lot of it had to do with, a lot of it had to do with bottlenecks that um, formed where the editors were reading the, the copy. And sometimes, the, you know, you'd be sitting around for hours just waiting, you know, to have your have the copy read so that you can make the changes you know it sounds like it would be very it sounds like it'd be really exciting was it exciting exhausting all of that or was it extreme right did you got did you get to know everybody really well like was everybody in one place i mean we were all kind of you know it was all kind of like um yeah let's hey kids let's you know let's put on a play kind of yeah a lot of the people a lot of the people there who were more, they were more interested in the magazine industry. Ah. And necessarily, I, I mean, I, for me, I was, I was in the magazine industry as a means of, you know, covering the art world. Right. It was my world. Right. And, um, but the rest of them were all like, they wanted careers, like they wanted to wind up writing for the New Yorker or, work at Condé Nast and a lot of them did and in fact really a lot of the a lot of the original group of people were gone with they were all much they were all much younger than me too mm-hmm. and they were mm-hmm. all gone within a year you know mm-hmm. year or so and then out. sort of one group coming in after the next and I actually saw I actually lived through at least two generations <laughs> you know when I started mm-hmm. out it was all Gen Xers then it became millennials, and now we're starting to get like Gen, Gen Z. Z's. You know, Gen, just so, what are like? Is there? There must have been a couple of incidences where, like, you had a vision, you had stuff you wanted to get done, where you felt particularly satisfied. Is there any like particular moment or story that you wrote about, or any kind of feedback that you got, or anything like that that you're like, that was great. Well. <laughs> You not know, offhand come on i mean it, i mean you know like so much stuff was happening all at once i can't really say you know I uh-huh. mean, it's all a blur it's a blur I would say it's pretty much a blur yeah but mm-hmm. i mean i think you know i started uh every now and then you know i'd see like you know i i think especially at the very beginning of the the whole internet thing there were there were art bloggers mm-hmm. that uh, they would then link to articles you know online and they started linking a lot to me and commenting on my work and then i that and that but that came quite a bit later mm-hmm. uh, but i would say that kind of stuff um i mean i just think you know it was like it, it, at some points i felt a, a lot of the time i felt like people really didn't know that, you know, really didn't know about Time Out New York, but, you know, which was strange. But, but uh, I remember calling galleries in the beginning and trying to explain what we were doing and could they mm-hmm. send me slides of the show and all this stuff, you know. So we, you're talking we, about like when Time Out, um, when you started seeing that Time Out got its name on the map. Is that what you're saying? Like that people yeah. would reference it as an, 
as an authority on yeah. some one thing or another. But but that took a while, you know, for a long yeah. time. I was sort of like, what? What are you doing? You know. But what about? I, I mean, I think a lot of writers, a lot of our writers understood what it was. That's why mm -hmm. I got people calling me and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sending me clips and, you know, they had reviewed for like Art Forum and things I'm, like that. I mean, as far as I can remember, it was always beautifully produced, which is a big part of it. You know, nice design, printing and all that. Yeah. So oh, yeah. it, it always looked really good. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, um, so what about like, you know, it's interesting because um, so some people, some critics, some writers, you know, there's people who are out in the art world all the time. And I've, I've been around the art world enough for, for a long time to see, know who goes out pretty much and who, do, who people use. You, Howard, are not somebody that people see regularly out. Yeah, I mean, and I and and, and um, I mean, I show up at I show up at press previews. Right, the, the, no, but I, that's I'm the here. boring that's the boring coffee yeah. serious stuff. So I'm just curious, like, what's your take on um, going? I mean, you must get invited. You know, they have like guys. Let me just tell you, these art parties, the ones I don't get invited to, are lush. I mean, like, I don't know, but just like. They're for rich people. You get invited to those parties, right? Yeah, I, got, I, did, I got some invitations. Fancy uh, dinners, museum yeah. openings, shit like that. But you, so what's, why don't you go to this shit? What is it? Well, first of all, I spent a lot of time when I was primarily focused on my practice, going to as many openings and as parties that I can get into and so pretty much it was already old by the time I started. Uh, yeah. And then while it was, it would have been a step up since we were talking about meeting collectors and stuff. Um, you know, when I, I talked to people and, you know, you, and they were, their expectation was for you to like, you know, like. Uh, write about them. Well, write about them or like assume, uh, you know, assume that they were like important and, mm -hmm. you, know, that, that, you know, they, they, you know, and I guess, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they had this power that they expected you to respect. Uh, and I was like, I have a problem with authority. I always have. So, uh, and, uh, you know, I have, a, I have a problem, you know, it was one thing to go around the art world. And, you know, you'd be dealing mostly with critics and young dealers and other artists. But once you got into this, like, thing where you were sitting down with people and they were like, and who are you like that? I, I just kind of felt like, you know, it wasn't my scene. You know uh -huh. what I mean? So, uh -huh. so I was more... And, I, and, you know, a lot of people really, you know, a lot of people... I remember, the, you know, an art critic telling me um you know that was the best thing for them <laughs> you got a seat at the table you know and wow and and i was like okay that's that speaks to what you're interested in i guess but i you know i i wasn't um Maybe it's the old Groucho Marx thing. I didn't want to be a member of a club that would have me. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, well that sounds, 
a little self-deprecating. What I'm, I'm wondering, what I'm sort of hearing is that those relationships are pretty transactional, right? Based on yeah, status totally. and stuff. Yeah. So like, those aren't fun people to drink with. No. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's not fun. That's not pure fun. It basically boils down to, you know, what have you done for me lately? I mean, it's mm -hmm. no different than Hollywood or, you know, yeah. other things. And, uh, uh, you know, the smart players know how to, you know, in terms of artists or whoever you're talking about, mm -hmm. the ones that are usually successful, they kind of know how to act like artists. In, in other words, these collectors had an expectation of what an artist is supposed to act like. And right. a, lot, a lot of them really know how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, as a critic, I really wasn't sure what their expectation of me was, other than they wanted me to tell them who to buy, or oh, they, wanted I see. To, they wanted me to be enthusiastic about whatever it was that they were collecting. Ah. And, uh, you know, I just sort of felt like, you know, um, listen, I get a paycheck, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not paid to do this by you. And, um, and that was and, so and you, you kind of didn't give a shit really let's well i wouldn't say that i i did i did you know i cared i i you wanted care, you cared wanted about to... your work you cared about the job you were doing you cared yeah. about art criticism you cared about people reading the magazine but this wasn't your main thing uh being an art advisor and yeah, stuff but I mean, like that I mean, a lot of people were like uh, a lot of people were like you know what's the matter with you you know, you I know. could see that. I yeah, want to go. I mean, Are you I, kidding? Yeah, I'm so I'm, curious. Yeah, and I really don't have an answer for uh -huh. that. So no. you could, you've been invited to all the MoMA openings, right? Every MoMA. I mean, to several. I mean, you know, not a, not like all the time because because when you don't show up, they're like, well, he's not going to show up. You know, uh -huh. every now and then they're like. Oh, let's try to get him, you know. But you've I, had that opportunity. You've had that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, to some trust. What about your wife? She doesn't go like, hey, I want to get dressed up and go out. No, no not at all. No. Good for her. She's like, I don't care about this. Or no, it doesn't. It's totally cool. It's not, you know, I mean, I mean, I mean, the art world is, you know, speaking of Jerry, I remember once he, he uh, there was very briefly this, sort of faux, uh, faux art world Oscar attempt. Oh, it, yeah, that was the, uh, didn't uh, Walter, it, Walter, Walter Award. Awards, yeah. Right. And the Guggenheim sponsored it. Right. And, and, uh, and I was nominated, Jerry won, there was only, it only ran for two years and Jerry I, won Best Critic both years. I was nominated for the, I was a nominee for the second year. And so, and this is how messed up, I think, you know, to me, like, I mean, he got up on the stage to say thank you and, you know, whatever, to accept his award. And he said, I love you. I hate you, you know, to the audience, to, to the art world, you know, like that, that, and I suppose, you know, I, I you know, when he, when he said that, I was like, yeah, that's probably how I, <laughs> so I don't know what I would have said had I won, but I knew I, I knew Jerry was going to win. But just to, just to show you how completely messed up these things are, you know, the the um, second year was a much bigger deal, and it was mm -hmm. at a big club, you know, mm -hmm. I, I forgot which Webster one. Hall? Yes, it was a Webster Hall. I remember, Hall. I mean, I never would get invited, but I remember it. Yeah, it was a Webster <laughs> Hall, 
that's right. So I remember going there and they had the whole like, they had the whole sheet pinned up where you stood in front of so they could take your picture. And Step and repeat, they call that, it, yeah. It was, it was, you know, and it was like, uh -huh. you know, trying to be like Hollywood. And I was like, what are you, you guys are kidding yourselves. This isn't Hollywood. But the thing that was like, the thing about the art world in terms of a love-hate thing is that, you know, they gave me a seating assignment and I went to the table and the artist, there was a, one of the artists who was a nominee for best artist or something, had basically brought all of their friends and they were seated in my, one of them was seated in my place. Oh, and I was yeah. like, and they were like, and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be sitting here. And they were like, oh man, that's too bad. You know, like that. <laughs> so I was like, I wound up going to the back and sitting at the bar and really? looking from the back, at the back from the, the whole thing, you know, instead of sitting at a table at the front where the nominees were supposed to be. I mean, it was incredible. I just said, this is so totally fucked up and so self-delusional, you know. <laughs> but, That's awesome. On the other hand, it was a fun evening. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, that, um, yeah. But, um, well, that's the kind of thing that like somebody other than you would have gone to the per to like Rob Pruitt himself and been outraged and said, somebody's sitting in my seat. You know who I am? Yeah. And, and then it would have been, you know, fixed. Well, the thing I, the thing I heard is that people were, you know, like in, in Hollywood, when they do the Oscars, people lobby for those awards. Right. Yeah, right. And yeah, you're of, right. In fact, a lot of big awards in a lot of different fields, people lobby to get them and they do get them as a result of lobbying, right? That's crazy. And then I heard they were people lobbying for this Rob Pruitt Award. And I was like, you know, first of all, it's supposed to be like a work of conceptual art. It's not a real awards show. It's supposed right. to be like this performance. Art. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be like a performance piece. Anyway, they didn't do it after that second year, probably because it was sort of like, you know, what are we really doing here? You know, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and also probably was, took more time than it was worth for someone like Rob. So, so what are your, some of, um, what do you, what are some of your concerns about, like, what, what do you see going on in the art world as, as in the next step, in the future? Is there like things that you're concerned about happening? Like, you know, art getting too expensive or artists getting too far away from? Well, it was kind of, it's, it, you know, I think a lot of it is absurd, you know, and I mean. Meaningless. I'll say well, that. I mean, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of like, as I say, when you're, when you, art is not, art is supposed to be like, philosophical expression i mean essentially mm -hmm. right it's it's a cultural expression you're you're expressing um something about visual thinking and your mm -hmm. at your in your the culture that you're existing in. you know because there's mm -hmm. like i call it visual thinking you know there's like right. thinking and there's visual thinking right, right. And the, art, the artist addresses this issue of like how one thinks philosophically ideologically in terms of uh you know visual as it relates to seeing you know mm -hmm. and um so that's just kind of like the, nobody really nobody really thinks that way anymore it doesn't seem to and i mean i don't know how i don't know how self-consciously the the best artists 
of all time really approached their work that way. They probably, mm -hmm. it was just all, it all just came out in the mix. But now I think, you know, it's so, at least up until this coronavirus thing, you know, right before everything blew up, it was pretty clear that the, you know, it was all about money and, you know, like you either, you either liked it or you didn't. And, um, uh, uh, there were some good things coming out of it, which was there was so much money um, sloshing around that a lot of uh, a lot of obscure careers were being revived because uh -huh. people, were, people were looking for you know it was sort of like on the one hand there was this um, thing about who's the hot new thing you know how can I be sure that I'll make a return on their work mm -hmm. and because of that somehow it also translated into you know. I guess when I guess when there was no longer, as I put it, this art historical narrative driving mm -hmm. the whole process mm -hmm. of making art, then the people that had been left out of the narrative originally, you were you could say for whatever reason, sometimes very unfairly, you could say, "Wow, this stuff was actually really good." You know, mm -hmm. we weren't thinking about it at the time because we were seeing art through a particular lens. Right. So that I think. That was that's that was a good part of the whole. Right, that that is a good. I think a yeah. lot of old ladies, a lot of old lady artists, oh, yeah, yeah. a lot of um, like like um, I think Betty Tompkins is oh, one yeah. of those, yeah. and maybe and who else? Like is uh, Catherine Brett? Lee Lozano was another one. Who? Lee Lozano was mm -hmm. another. One. Uh, yeah, there were quite a few. So. Mm -hmm. um, so that is a good thing. So yeah, you know, I, mean, we, I would say I would say. If the if the if the system that it existed hadn't been dismantled, which it's been, then you wouldn't have had you wouldn't have had this other stuff. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you wouldn't have at least you're at least being exposed to it. Whether or not you know, whether or not you it 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 it, it uh, you know makes it in the long run somehow or is or has legs, isn't really for me, isn't that important as being able to experience it for the first time, you know, mm -hmm. not having mm -hmm. known about this work or not having known it well. What uh, do you think about seeing art in person and seeing it art online, seeing it no, online? It's completely different. It's in that, and that's, that's one of the most absurd things about the current situation is that people are buying work based on JPEGs. I know. And, right? Yeah. But that just tells you that again, the priority is, you know, the work as a as a potential investment. Because if you're mm -hmm. not that interested in experiencing the work, right, looking at it in a JPEG is fine, right. But and, 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 I mean, but I mean, the, the weird thing was, you know, this whole business with the coronavirus and having a lot of galleries migrating online to to show work in right. viewing rooms. Well, that was a different reason for doing that. But right. You have to wonder. Well, okay, you're you are normalizing this idea. Right. That you don't have to experience art in the flesh. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. And there's a key statement in there: experiencing art in the flesh, guys. Experiencing art. You can't have art. Being in person with art. Being in front of the piece is the experience and that's really like it's not the same thing whatsoever right absolutely not and yeah and in fact and in fact uh you know i there have been plenty of times where 
I've, you know, I'm aware of a work of art I hadn't seen before in the flesh via an image of it and going to see it and having a whole different experience, you know, and getting, getting way more out of the work than, you know, you know, you just look at, you're just like, there's no, you know, all of these intangibles that make an artwork an artwork are lost uh, in the reproduction. Um, Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's also, there's an intangible experience of being in front of a piece of art that you, it's an emotional experience that just can't be replicated in a JP on a screen and all that other stuff. But you know what, I want to change where we only have 15 minutes left and uh, I want to get to, um, you know, being Dr. Lisa and all, I want to get to, um, you know, your childhood a bit because um, when we were talking before you were saying, I thought this would be really interesting and we should dig into it a little bit that you're, you're first generation from Hungarian parents, or what were you saying? Yes, uh, my parents were Hungarian Jews, emigrated to uh, the United States. My father came in the 20s. Wow. His mother, his mother had come to the United States before, I think, the First World War, around the First World War, um, and uh, then he came when he turned 21, uh, she had already started a business and apparently, I mean, you know, she was apparently this force of nature. Your um, grandmother, you're saying? Yeah, my father's mm-hmm. mother, yeah. But I, what? Ne- I never knew her. I mean, she mm-hmm. was she died in like 1936 uh, or something like that. My mother then came, I mean, it was, how they got together was kind of weird and I don't really want to get into it because it's way mm-hmm. too complicated. But okay, yeah. Essentially, my father wanted to come to the United States, and I don't think my mother really did, but kind of out of necessity because of what was going on, you know. Not good for the Jews, right? Not good for the Jews. So that I think there was always... That, ho- that whole Nazi thing, yeah. Yes. Yeah, Go ahead, Nazi. sorry. Very inconvenient, but um, yeah, so I think this set up this weird dynamic where, you know, my mother... My mother was interested in high culture. I don't know that, you know, um, I, I think a lot of it, you know, she was she was status conscious. Um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of her interest in culture was tied to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that we were wealthy or anything. I'm not saying yeah, that. Yeah. Saying this, this was when she was young, you know, when she was a young person, her aspirations were to be a somebody, you know, a cultured person. This was very uh, Go- going to like big collector art collector dinners and no, 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 more like going to the opera, going to yeah. symphony, yeah. like that sort of thing. And so um, she, I mean, I think she enjoyed it. You know, I, I mean, enjoyed coming to. So, are you no, saying no, this going to the going to the, see the Cleveland Orchestra? I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh huh. So, we, you know, she would drag me to the Cleveland Orchestra, and I think she enjoyed it. And you uh-huh. know, but I think part of her was like, "Well, this is what a cultured person does. They go to uh. the, they go to the symphony." So yeah. your so your mom was very culture focused. So you yes, did you have right. brothers and sisters? I had a sister. I have a sister who's five years older than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was just the two of you. Well, it was the four of you, really. It was a, it was a five-year difference. So my sister, at some point, basically, 
by the time I was a teenager, she was out of the house. So. Right, right, right. And what did your father do? Well, he did a lot of things. Basically, he inherited his mother's business, which centered on a bar uh, mm -hmm. in, the, in the part of town where there were a lot of Hungarians. Cleveland has a huge, had a huge population mm -hmm. of Hungarians. Mm. At one point, I, I heard that it was like the only other city with more Hungarians was Budapest. Right? Really? Seriously? Yeah. Wow. I, mean, I remember, I remember like, um, uh, I did the show a couple of years ago with Elizabeth D. Yes. Uh, she still had a gallery. And one of the shows she was putting on also around the same time was a group of Hungarian you know, like modern you know, Hungarian artists from the 60s and 70s, right? Which mm -hmm. was an interesting show. And then, you know, she introduced me to all these. She goes, oh, you know, Howard's Hungarian. And I'm like, you know. Oh, I, my God. You know, I'm like, I can't speak yeah. Hungarian or anything. And, then, and I'm like, and I was talking to one of them. And I'm like, you know, I'm like from, I'm from Cleveland. And, <laughs> and that was, is this true about Cleveland? goes, oh, yeah, Cleveland. Cleveland, that was a big, he, he talked about there was apparently a big, um, big exodus of Hungarians after the revolution in 1956, but mm -hmm. also the war and another, you know, and they went to different cities. Buenos Aires is another big. Is another but you big. grew, so you grew up, your family owned a bar then? My father, yes, but it was more than that. It was also like she had, she had gotten all this property. So he was managing that. So, so, so they were business people. They yeah, were, they, it sounds did. like they were doing well. Well, at one point, I think he did. I think he was doing well, but he wasn't. Um, he, at another point, he wasn't doing that well. Let's just put mm -hmm. it that way. But so, anyway, he had his own business, which is a lot of pressure. Yeah, I think uh, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, declinism is not it's not an unusual experience for me so let's oh just that no that must so that must have been was that rough like were they always worrying about how the business was doing was there a lot of pressure around the house like how well you no, doing the pressure was that you know um the pressure was between you know priorities of like my mother wanting to make this outward show of being cultured and affluent and my father basically not giving a shit about any of that. Mm. That was an issue. Mm -hmm. And the other issue is, I think it's true for all first generation Americans is, uh, you know, like you're basically dealing with two cultures at the same time. Like when you're outside the house, it's the United States. When you're inside the house, it's what other, whatever right. origin. Right, right. So, you know, it's kind of, it was, that, that was a bit, um, that was a bit, uh, Did uh, did they speak Hungarian at home? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Are you fluent in Hungarian no, then? No, not at all, no. I mean, I, when I was younger, I could speak it. But over time, my sister can still speak Hungarian. Uh -huh. But I, for I some reason, I was, never, I was never good at, you know, uh -huh. I mean, for a while I could speak it, and then I stopped speaking it, and then for a long time I could understand it fluently, but then that went away. So too. what was that like as a kid, like going home to like a different culture? I mean, were you, were there other kids that were in the same situation, or was it, disco was I, it disconcerting for you? What was that like? It could be, yeah, because, I, because at a certain point I wound up at a, uh, I wound up at a prep school. 
wow. mother's idea. And, and uh, it was very, it was, you know, there was still a, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant hegemony that doesn't quite exist anymore. Yeah. And, and being a Jewish kid in that place was difficult. Really? And, what would happen? Well, I mean, there was a sort of, you know, uh, well, you were in the wrong cast. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there was, there was the right cast and there was the wrong cast. Mm -hmm. and, you know, but were you, were you made fun of or ignored or oh, which yeah, one? Yeah, were you beaten up? Oh, yes. I was beaten really? up. Really? Wow. Yeah. Were you aware that you were a Jew? Did you feel like people, like anti-Semitism and stuff like that? Yeah. And did I, you... I mean, I would say this. That wasn't this, you know, like... There were, I mean, I've encountered two types of American Jews that have, you know, grown up around the same time that I did. Mm -hmm. one, one type grew up in Jewish neighborhoods, right? Jewish mm -hmm. communities, like there's Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, and mm -hmm. there was a place called Beechwood. Your entire world was Jewish. You mm -hmm. weren't really interacting with the outside world. And I'm not talking about Orthodox or Hasidic. I'm yeah, talking, right. People mostly Reformed Jews. And so that, diff that experience was different than being sort of thrown in with, you know, this whole other, this whole other part of the culture. Mm -hmm. where, it was uh, where you were kind of exposed to this thing that was alien, you know. So, right. you know, that, that uh, yeah, that was pretty difficult to deal with. So, However, by the time that I got into high, I mean, I started there in junior high and mm -hmm. I wound up, wound up going into the high school part of it. Once you got into high school, all that stuff kind of disappeared. Oh, like, okay. Miraculously. Like, uh, separate campuses, like the lower, lower school and the upper school. When you went up to the upper school, you know, it was gone. Like, and, and I remember thinking the first couple of weeks I was at, I was up, well, I was there. I was like, "Hey, what happened?" It was like switched off. So your a, high school experience was a lot better then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say mm -hmm. so. What uh, kind of kids did you gravitate? Were you into art then, or uh, what well, were your interests? I, I, you know, I remember as a as a as a kid, I was fascinated with. Like when I go to the Cleveland Museum, I was very fascinated with Egyptian art. Mm -hmm. Later, um, it was like Japanese prints. I remember I had to think about it. But mostly work that was kind of uh, schematic, cartoony, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I collected, and I had books on that stuff. Oh. And, but I never really, you know, I never really thought of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I tried taking some, you know, you go to, you go to the Cleveland Museum and you take right. some painting classes and you know I mean it was just it wasn't really a serious um and, 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 and where did you go to college I went to uh a, st a state school in in uh Ohio down mm -hmm. in Athens what did you study there uh I was um a printmaking major Oh, so you, you you were an art student as an undergraduate then? Well, I I came to it I came to it after a couple of years. Uh, so uh -huh. I first I first I actually went to I spent my freshman year at Boston University. Mm -hmm. Not enjoy that experience, and wasn't really sure what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I left, and then a semester later just to get out of the house, you know, I had some friends from high school that were at the, were in Athens. So I went down there because I figured I knew people. 
And so I didn't really, you know, it was a couple of years, I think junior year, I took an art history class and suddenly that it kind of clicked and then I wound up going mm -hmm. to, uh, into printmaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, what, so what were you, like when you went to Boston University, what were you, what were you, what were you thinking? Were you studying? You had no, no clue what you no, wanted was, to study? I was, I was taking, you know, your basic, the basic courses. Mm -hmm. I did do a couple of weird things like I because there were certain things you could just take if you wanted to mm -hmm. and uh, so one one thing was like international studies mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, it, and <laughs> international studies was like the field that people like Kissinger came out of you wow know? and so and they do these, they would do what, like, you know, like games, like war game simulations. Wow. And, and, and so I, uh, I, I participated in one and the teacher was like, afterwards, he came up to me and he had, he'd gone to Harvard for his degree, but he was teaching at BU and he came up to me and goes, I think you should seriously consider going into this field. You know? Really? <laughs> I, I was like, what, really? And, and and I didn't, of course. Why did Why do you think he said that? Uh, I don't know. Just because you know, I see. I mean, I I always read a lot of you know current events stuff, like uh -huh. papers and magazines. And, and you were good with people, probably. Well, it was you know it was kind of weird. You know, you mm -hmm. assembled these teams of like you know some kind of Middle East situation. You know, mm -hmm. so people were on like the Egyptian mm -hmm. team, the Israeli. Team. I know, it was very hard to explain. So, um, you know what, Howard, we're run, we've run out of time. Um, and I um, really enjoyed having you on. Thank you. Well, thank this you. Fascinating. And I'm also really excited to see what, what happens next. You're, you're, I, I am looking down the road and I see a big adventure for you somewhere. So you'll have to come back and tell us about it when it when it manifests i'll be looking forward to that in the meantime i just want to say um you know thanks for listening to radio free brooklyn and stick around we've got such great programming this afternoon we've got sitting with gianluca a really funny guy who knows so much about music and right after this is lost and rewound okay that's uh it's going to be a great afternoon Thanks again. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Have a great day. Bye.